0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. I am thrilled to have an old teammate of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, a fellow member of the Firebelly family, uh, Rich Kloon, Dickie Clune. He has 139 NHL uh, games to his name, over 500 professionally. He was a former third-round draft pick to the Dallas Stars in 2005. He also acts in, uh, in three films, The Marvin Family Tortoise, Hypostasis, and hi, my name is Dicky. He is just a beast of a man, one of the uh, ultra-alpha males I've ever I've ever played with, one of the most compassionate teammates, uh, driven teammates, and frankly, uh, one of the best teammates. He understands uh, his gratitude for the game. He just loves being in the room every day, and, and I always felt 10 feet tall playing with him, so I'm super excited to share our conversation with you today, and thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world. Let's do this. Alright, Round two. I just got booted off the uh the video session, so we'll go again. I'm uh thanks for doing this, man. Happy Saturday morning. Yeah, bro.
1: Yeah, you too. What brother. Pump number? Yeah, what pump coffee. number are
0: you on this? Yeah, I've had 10. Um, so I'm fired up. I had a bulletproof this morning. I went with a little MCT oil and the C8, a little cinnamon, cylon cinnamon. Nice. Is that how you say it? Yeah. A little lion's mane. I want to make sure I gave you my best, man. We haven't talked in a while, but
1: yeah, let's go. No, dude, this is, this is my up, man. I, I haven't worked out yet. I'm going to, I'm going to get, we're going to like do a slow build and then I'm just going to go right into it after this and rip it up.
0: Yeah, you should. Um, well, thank God. Cause I'm not sure what kind of, you know, violent demon I would have gotten on the podcast if I caught you fresh out of the gym off a pump. You know what I mean? Like I don't get in the way of that Dickie. Just no. steer clear.
1: I so, don't get in the way of that Dickie, man.
0: I thought this was funny. So last night, um, Lexi and I went down by uh, Lake Michigan there in Chicago where we've been hanging out on quarantine. And we did like a little sushi date night. And I was thinking back. So Dickie and I's careers and and friendship really began at a cool point in my life. I had just gotten traded to the Leafs. And, you know, whatever. I played, you know, some games at the end, uh, you know, right after the trade. You know, I'd done well, but the team was struggling and, you know, you're getting used to a new system and all that kind of thing. And then I get sent down, you know, for this Toronto Marlies team that I had played against prior to the trade with the Hershey bears. Like you guys were loaded. And yeah. uh, so I get there and I knew the expectation. Our goal was to win, you know, the caller cup. And I'm super excited now because I was having a good year in the American league. And I felt like I had proved in the NHL, I think it was 19 games I had played. Cause I had a, I had a bonus at 20. So Lou Lamarillo got me on the bonus, sent me right down. <laughs> and,
1: uh, oh,
0: Lou. and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I was super excited to play with the Marlies kind of wanted to show off my ceiling and my potential and some of the offensive game. I didn't get to, you know, use in, in the NHL. And, uh, I thought this was funny cause we had sushi last night. And I remember as soon as I got down, you know, with the Marlies, you made an effort. I was staying in the hotel and you go, hey, man, what's up? What are you up to? I'm like, oh, nothing. And I, and I mean, I knew who you were. Like the first time I ever met you, I was actually a scratch. You were playing in Nashville and you had KO'd, uh, literally knocked out one of our demon that had taken my spot that night. So it was like, well, I might've been yeah, in that. Yeah, I, I might've that. been in that fight if I was in the lineup that night. And I'm uh, thinking to myself, you go, what are you doing uh, for lunch tomorrow? I'm like, I don't know, man, whatever. What, what do you want to do? And you go, you eat sushi? And like, I eat, like, at that time, like, tempura, bullshit, whatever, sushi. Like, fried everything. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. And you go, dude, I got this spot for you. And we remember, we go to Hero Sushi? Oh, yeah. Do you remember
1: this? Hero Sushi, man.
0: And you're walking in, you're like, dude, this guy's awesome. I I just let him order whatever. I used to come in here with my dad. Uh, He'll hook it up. Just trust me. Let's sit down and let's eat something. I'm like, all right. Yeah, and I'm kind of sweating now because I'm like, I. You know, if you were to order me like a salmon avocado roll, like I'm like, oof, I'm not sure I can, <laughs> I'm not sure that's that's a little adventurous for me. So yeah. sure enough, we do the like this omakase and uh, the guy is just sending out two pieces. So it's you and me sitting there and I know we're going piece for piece because if I don't try something, it's sitting there in front of you. And I'm like, well, I don't want Dickie Clune to think I'm soft or don't eat sushi. And then heroes in the back, like, giving us this thumbs up, like, hey, are you guys good with, like, the wasabi on each bite? Because they were doing a bunch of the nigiri pieces. And I'm, like, getting yeah, yeah, yeah. ambushed by this wasabi. But I didn't, I just, I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to lose to the wasabi battle. I didn't want to show I was soft on the first date with you, man.
1: <laughs> That's very honorable. Man, you, you brought up Hiro Sushi, so he, he retired. I, I saw, I Googled hero it this sushi, morning, yeah. and
0: it said permanently closed. I was sad.
1: Yeah. I uh, So anybody who comes into Toronto, I mean, obviously, you know, Miku Sushi is the popular, yep. popular spot, started out in Vancouver and came here. But uh, there's a documentary that's just like legendary called, it's uh, Euro, Euro Dreams, Dreams yep. of Sushi, right? Is that how you pronounce it? So Hero in Toronto is like this legendary sushi chef. And my father worked at a marketing and ad agency downtown at and Parliament. And he started bringing me in there, just you know, a few times over the years. But you know who's another guy in the city who was notorious for like you could just walk in and he'd just be sitting up at the bar and had a great relationship with Hero was Eric Lindros. Oh wow, so That's Eric, a big rig. So
0: he, yeah, Imagine a sushi So like, that guy takes
1: down. Like Hero, Hero, I don't think ever watched hockey. But when I started to go in there and get older and you know started to fill out, he would always say like he would always say like. Oh, Eric Lindros legs. It's like he, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. He, he always had, you saw, he always had this like fixation on like the, uh, like the leg development of Lindros. And I mean, this guy hero is a bit like, you know, huge, like probably a, you know, a weapon himself. But, um, he was just one of those people where like you would walk in and it was like, it's like it was like right in a dream sequence, you know what I mean? You'd walk in yep. and he just is just like this pleasant old traditional Japanese sushi chef and like let him rip. But uh I do remember taking you there. And the truth is, is that because of you know how kind of special he was to myself and my family, I can't just take anybody in there, man. Like, you got to have good chi to go into hero because. It's just, it's one of those places, right? It's like very special to me. So I do remember that. Yeah. And I
0: remember even, uh, cause you had recommended that sushi documentary, however you say it, it's J-I-R-O, right? It's, I think it's, is it yeah. gyro or, or anyway? But yeah. I remember watching the documentary. It's you're Euro. like I think it's gyro too. That's my gut. And you go uh, see, is you got to see this documentary, man. Like just the, you'll appreciate it. You said to me. And then I go and watch it. Oh, and yeah. It's this documentary about how this, you know, Gentleman has this great relationship with Kaizen just showing up every day, like the attention to detail, dedication to craft, just being obsessive with what he does for a living. And it was like, it was great insight into who you are and what makes you tick and what you like. And I think we both bonded. I felt like we only played whatever it was, that playoff run. Uh, But I felt like even, you know, at that first lunch date or whatever, all the way through when we played, it felt like I knew you forever. And uh, I wish we got to play together longer, um, but you just had like such a texture to your personality. You, you have such a, I think we bonded over that, like that fire belly. We're just both inherently curious people, yeah. hungry people. And uh, I loved that about you. I loved, and I just felt tall. Like I just, every time you were in the room, man, like I felt like I was 10 feet tall in the locker room, you know, before going to war and we had some, we had some good playoff series there.
1: Yeah, man, that team that we had, uh, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I appreciated it at the time, but now looking back on it, I mean, you look, look up and down that roster and then you just see, you know, obviously Kyle Dubas and, and Sheldon were at the helm and then like looking to where the Leafs are now. And even some of the other players, I mean, we were, you know, it's, you can't live in, you can't live in the past, but that we were loaded. Like you said, it's
0: one of and my remember, greater regrets that we did win. Like I,
1: we actually lost a Hershey yeah, yeah. that year and
0: that stung. Like, I think I, yeah, I teared up pretty good no, after that one. I was pissed.
1: No, no, I know, man. That was, you know what, after that, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm obviously going to get into some, you know, some, you know, first world problem, privilege problems here, but I will say that you know, generally, you know, my history, right? Like I've been mm-hmm. on this kind of, you know, I've been sober for a while and been feeling, I generally feel great every day, even on a bad day, things happen. I just, it's my, my worst day now is better than my best day before. But after that series, when we played Hershey, cause our team was touted to win. Yep. And, um, that was the most important thing in that moment in my life and, and obviously your life and losing in that third round to Hershey, that was probably the first time since I had gotten sober, you know, when I got bought out by Nashville, I was, I was more angry, but the, the loss after that Hershey sent me into a depression, like straight up, man. And, and you know, I, I, I had quit drinking and and doing drugs at the time. So like, I'm not coping with that. So then I'm left with like this post playoff, you know, um, your sport ends, which is very common for every athlete, right? Like no matter what sport you're playing, it's, it's, it's a very real thing. As you know, your sport ends, whether it's the season or you retire or whatever. And, you know, there's a, there's a form of depression that sits in and I was depressed, man. I was like, for a few weeks there, man, I was like, I, I, I didn't want to see anybody. I know, you know, we do our thing at the end of the year and hang out. Everyone does their exit meetings and bounces. And, uh, it was the, you know, I did one of these things where people were reaching out to hang out and I don't know, I just, I lied and said I was in California and truthfully I was in Toronto, just sat in my apartment alone for at least a week before I started to like, (laughs) and uh, I've never really talked about that time in my life, but you know, that was, that was tough. And, um, you know that team was obviously special and touted to win but but anyways i uh i felt that about that team and i felt that about like you know you coming in and although you know we're we're different in our own ways i i, I felt the same way about you you had this sort of like thirst for knowledge and how am i ever going to get to that ultimate goal of being the best player i can be you know what i'm saying yeah. or person you know what i mean like i know you're your interests and stuff stem far outside of hockey, which we'll probably get into, but you know, there's certain people along the way that, uh, there is some sort of like special, it's almost like a, like a, there's a bit of pain mixed in there and like that fire burns. And it's like that, that thing kind of pushes you along and it's like, you can either let it direct you to positive, you know, greatness, or you go down the other route, which, you know, I did for a while, but like, I felt like for you, I acknowledged in you early on that you were channeling all the stuff and all that, you know, energy and whatever into, you know, studying and playing hard and working out and your nutrition. And, you know, you've, you know, now you have your podcasts and all these things. So it was cool to connect with you. Right. And, and, and Although I feel like I can somehow find a way to relate to all my teammates, it just made it easy. So like, you know, you come back into town, go to work out. and
0: I think we both wore that heavily. One, because I had lost, you know, to my old team at the time. And that was sour. I was was not happy. You know, one of my, I'm going to get him on the podcast. Liam O'Brien was like my roommate in Hershey and he was chirping me from the bench. And at one point I just turned, so I'm shut the fuck up, man. Like you don't know how to pay a Comcast bill. Yeah. I, I lived with you. <laughs> I lived with you six weeks ago and I love OB and he was just giving me a hard time. But, and I think for you, you just wore it so heavily because you were a leader on that team and you know, like as a leader in the AHL, a lot of times you win, they stick, you stay, stick around, you know, you, you fail yeah. to do what you're expected to do. And then they start to contemplate other options. And, you know, very similar where, and I, I was definitely um, devastated, but I do want to acknowledge, I just watched uh, your documentary last night. Hi, my name is Dickie and and Kyle Dubas makes an appearance in it. And, uh, you know, he was very influential, I think, for me at that time in refocusing. There was a conversation about, you know, where I did well and where I fell short in that playoff run. And then it immediately shifted. He shifted my focus where I might have, um, I might have sat on that a little bit longer if he didn't redirect me towards opening night the next year for the Leafs, you know, he's like, "This is your goal for the summer. This is our expectation yeah. for you. Uh, go home and do the work and show up ready." And that was, yeah, kind of how I got over it. I don't think I necessarily dealt with it at the time, but you know, I don't know. I felt the same way about you. Where I think we both—you can call it curiosity, you can call it mm-hmm. hunger or ambition, you can call it obsessiveness, right? Where we get a thought in our mind and we want to pursue it to the nth degree, whatever it is, whether it's a new training modality, you know, there's a new strength sensei, you know, Charles Pollock, an article we would talk about. And I guess I, yeah. uh, I took a, a, a liking to you cause I mean, you'd been through the, the others, like the dark side of my personality. I felt like you'd already exercised that. And I felt like there was so much to learn where you're like, see, you got to deal with this kind of stuff positively because like, I've crossed the road and you don't want that. Like you don't want, you don't want
1: that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think, um, I think like even, even when you brought up O'Brien and, and, and that series, just to backpedal, like for a brief minute, that's uh that series. So the one thing that I remember in that series was like, And we all play through injuries in the playoffs. Right. And some guys will come out after and talk about him. It's like in the UFC, you know, guy. That's what I love about that Conor McGregor guy is he's never pulled out of a fight. And win, lose or draw. He'll never say like, well, I beat you, but I had like a broken hand or I lost. It'll come out through like rumors and stuff later on down the line. And it makes him so much more endearing because you're like, dude, this guy's just like, there's no excuses. You know what I mean? And, uh, I've never really, you know, get it, you know, most times people talk to me, like, it's like, you know, the forefront thing is like the drug and the alcohol thing. But what I love about, you know, being able to sit here to you is we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff that playoff series. Um, I came into Toronto that year with, so over the years I had fraying in my rotator cuff and like a labrum tear that you know, I never corrected with any sort of surgery. So that it was just coming to a point where like my right shoulder had slowly fallen apart over my last year in Nashville, then the next year in Milwaukee and then Toronto. But you know, I'm so hell bent on like this career. And like, if I don't need surgery, I'm gonna keep going and trying to correct it holistically. And then I'd had like a massive tear in my wrist that I was getting cortisone injections for all year. And that year was just challenging because, you know, I had made a decision that I'm not going to use painkillers. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like as a recovering addict, if, if, you know, don't get me wrong, if down the road, I do need some sort of major surgery and there's like an acute phase and it goes through doctors, you know, there are people that are sober that, you know, there's a plan for that, but because, you know, I'd wake up every day and like I'm 20, you know, whatever, how old I was. And it's just like, I was starting to like tear apart. And although I was, you know, still being able to play and compete, getting into that Hershey series, I was like, you know, my groin was fucking torn. uh, Shoulder was falling apart. And I wanted to like go toe to toe with like uh, O'Brien and um, who's the other guy? Uh, He's a really good dude. Um, The centerman. Zach Zach Siller. Siller. Zach Siller. So they're egging me on the whole series, and like by that time, you know, I I was in a really good role for that Marley team. Like, yeah, you know, I well. Play big minutes, score, antagonize. So I kind of like to mask the fact that I knew if I got into a fight early in that series, and it went like with Obi or or Siller, like those guys are nail guns. So if we went toe to toe, like I'm like my shoulder's gonna rip out, and then I'm not even gonna play in this series. And uh, I'm not taking painkillers. I'm not smoking weed. You know, I haven't smoked weed and. 10 years to like, just take the edge off. And I was like, dude, I was sitting in my bed s- sleeping like this, sitting up. Yeah. And I probably didn't do myself any favors for trying to be an Olympic weightlifter in my spare time since I was 23. <laughs> you, don't
0: say. You, don't say.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, uh, I was just like, and then it lended into that depression. Like I wasn't sleeping good. I was in pain and it's like, man, you know, I've learned some really valuable lessons in sobriety, dealing with that stuff without anything. And you, I've really seen some of the, you know, you want to talk about that demon come out and the negative voices. And then, um, you know, I think, but like, I wouldn't change any of it. Right. How would, how would we, how would we experience, how would we learn coming here if with like an easy, you know, an easy, like 18 holes on this planet you know that so then you know
0: and even even the stories I I said it on an earlier podcast where I don't know it came out right where I said you know adversity is an opportunity to earn respect and I think to myself like I would feel cheated when when you put it that bluntly like I would feel cheated if I went through my whole hockey career and didn't have some things to try to grit
1: out I feel cheated yeah, I mean, the, you know, the gift we have as humans, right, is we come here and you get to develop self. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day, like, what would you, you know, would you change it if you could go back and do things differently? And it's like, no, I wouldn't. I mean, even if I was dead today or whatever, you know, if I didn't make those changes, whatever, like this is what I've needed to learn. And then the ability to come play professional hockey. um, you know, I, I like to think I have, I'm more than just a hockey player, but uh, like these lessons that we're learning going through the game. And I don't know how you are, but for me, I started to approach this sport at probably the age of 12 or 13 as a pro. Hundred like, percent. It went, for, it went like the thought process for me was like, I grew up right in the city on the Danforth in Toronto, Huge Leaf fan. My dad was a, you know, quote unquote failed hockey player. He played four years of division three hockey at Colby college. And then he played one year. Of yeah, pro in Colby Sweden. Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And then he, he like all the, all the legendary rumors about my dad was he was a sick player, but the one thing he bestowed upon me was like, he just sort of lacked that ambition and drive. And he kind of drilled that into me from an early age. Cause I felt like he, if he could do it over again, he would have been more driven and committed. You know, he was just, he wanted to just play and whatever, just have fun, which is, also what I wanted to do, but, you know, he, he, he installed those buttons early in me. So he knew which ones to push. And, uh, you know, I've never really gotten into my relationship with my father. We could get into it, but so it was like, I was looking at NHL players as gods, as we all do. And it's like some unrealistic existence that I'll never get to. And then, you know, you get older, you get older, crime, climb the ranks a little bit, hit puberty. And then at 12, I was like, I don't care. Like, it's like something clicked and I'm like, I'm going to get there whether I go through a wall or I'm, you know, if it kills me. And so it's like, I just made that decision. I was going to be prepared to deal with literally anything. And, you know, and I still have that mentality. (laughs) Truthfully. Well,
0: let's, let's, I, I still, let's go there. Cause I, you know, you're the oldest of three boys you know, I'm the oldest. I think there's, uh, some traits that we share because of it. Uh, both my younger brothers played, you know, still play. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a similar conversation in our house. I remember I was nine, I was playing for the Orland park Vikings, the double a team, you know, at the time. And, uh, I think I was eight, eight turning nine. And this was the conversation in our home. And I was always just kind of an old soul as a kid. Like I just, I just was, I enjoyed growing up conversation. I, I, you know, my dad talked to me, you know, like an adult from a young age. My mom did too. But he pulls me aside and goes, Connor, there's this AAA team called the Chicago Chill. And the coach, uh, Larry Pedri, saw you play. And uh, you can play up a year with the 93s for the Chill with the 10-year-olds as a 9-year-old. Or you can, you know, I, I think that's the maybe the best move, Connor, for like your development. And... Uh, yeah. Or you can Were stay- you
1: always a defenseman?
0: Yes, but I always... I was like the kid that they would tap. I was a kid that they would tap to go play offense. Like, Hey, we need a goal. Okay. And so he goes, uh, or you can stay with the Vikings and your friends. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you can stay with the Vikings and and stay with your friends or you can play the better hockey. And I'm like, like, we're going to the chill. Like there was no, I didn't understand that my dad presented this other option. I was, I was nine. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all the way through, Growing up, there was a conversation in our home around and and I'm grateful for it because it has got me where I am today. And it was, there are people out there while you're sleeping, like they're working. What are you going to do when you get up to beat them? What what are you going to do to compete? And I remember, you know, my dad, uh, we would have this sign when he was at games when I was a kid, I would look up in the stands, you know, if I was, I knew, I knew I wasn't playing well and I would look up and he'd be doing this. And it, and it meant pick it up. Like you got to get going, your team's down, get in the game, get in the game. And, uh, from a young age, I just very similarly, I, you know, I, I can't tell if I, my relationship with potential is both love and hate. Like, I love the idea that there's a better me that's out there to be attained. And I hate the fact that I'm not there yet. You know, and you live in between that, that, uh, that fire and. I mean, I just know from talking to you, you have these similar stories. Like I remember I used to do this uh, Arctic ice arena. I used to have this old weight room. They got this beautiful facility now, the rink I grew up in. But it used to be this really small, you know, kind of makeshift weight room. And uh, I I learned this exercise where it was like a, it was like a land press. So the barbell was like wedged into the wall and I would lunge down to the side and I would kind of like pull it down to my hip, my right hip. And I would lunge up and punch up at the same time, right? Like this landmine press. And I would picture, I was, I was 15 at the time, Alexander Galchenyuk was, you know, the best player in the country and he was supposed to go first overall in the O. And I would picture his head and yeah. I would do reps if I was punching him in the face. Yeah. And that was my Friday night that I was going yeah. to do anything.
1: Oh yeah, man. And, and, and yeah, I, uh, so I think, I think maybe a misconception about me is that whatever, and, you know, we live in this age of self-promotion and social media and, and, and it's like, I'm aware of it and I've used it like selectively over the years and, you know, get bored of it, go back to it. And, you know, we're all in the business of, 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 you know, marketing ourselves. So it's like some people I feel have the impression that, you know, I got sober at 23 and then i just like adapted this like gnarly training training regimen and philosophy which which i did but the truth is is like i had that at 11 12 years old like i i i it wasn't that was something i didn't discover at 23 i was rediscovering it because truthfully um i just i understood that you know to get to where you want to go no matter what it is that de- that self-development of training and that's and that's true across the board, whether you're, you know, whatever physical development lends to, you know, a sharper mind, uh, um, whatever. So but I understood at like 10 or 11, 12, you know, if you have a bad day, if you if you play well, if you play like shit, if you hate everybody, you fail a test, you do well, you're having fun, you know, later on in my life. I've been up for four days on like a cocaine bender, drinking, no sleep. I train and I understand. I comprehended that from a very young age. And it's something that I'm hearing from you and I've seen in you is that no matter what our, our reality looks like an anchor for me was like, I train. And now, you know, could I give all I had when I was, what I just referenced strung out, depressed, you know, suicidal, no, it looks a lot different than it is now when I'm healthy, eating properly, sleeping properly, but I've always had that mentality. And, um, so sometimes I try to remind people of like, you know, like, um, you know, don't just, don't just pick, like, if you pick up fitness and stuff like that, you're gonna like, don't get the impression that like, I just came out of nowhere at 23 and was able to squat 210 kilos. Like I I started weight training like at 10, 11, 12. And like what you just said there about that, that landmine press and you're punching Galchenyuk and that visualization and stuff like that. I started studying uh, neuro linguistics programming years ago. And it essentially just kind of reaffirmed things that I think I kind of pictured at a young age. And I think athletes do this exceptionally well innately is that visualization, right? You talk, always hear about, oh, I'm playing in game seven in road hockey and you know, you're know, you your favorite player in the NHL and you score that goal. And it's like, you start priming your brain for that existence. And it's like, you don't even know you're doing it. So my version of like your story there, I remember, uh, so, so the Leafs would play like a Saturday night. And as I got up higher up into the AAA levels, like 13, 14, 15, I begged my dad to buy me like some weights. Right. Cause I knew like, you know, I saw pictures of like Rod Brindamore with his shirt off and he's just fucking monster dude. I used to love those videos. Like, and, and being in Toronto, you'd hear as I got older. Right. And then I'm starting to like, I'm starting to seek out. I'm like, I want to, I want to learn the secrets. And you hear about like legendary stories about Chris Draper's training group out in Pickering and uh you know sean avery was a young player everyone wants to talk shit about sean avery that guy can fuck that guy was a bull and he trained hard and um you know trevor daly and gary roberts and and then you know you see pictures of brindamore and like brindamore was doing what pretty much you know 90 percent of the guys 80 percent of the guys do now he was doing that when nobody was doing yeah. it you know you hear about the well, stories yeah. that like he's bicep curling like a chair in the hotel room because there's no weights around and they had to like lock him out of Michigan state's locker room and stuff. So I, I was like, I'm like, I think I got enough skill that I'm just going to die under the, I'm going to die in the weight room and like turn my body into, uh, what I lack in skill and sort of like, um, you know, hockey IQ, I think I had enough of it. Uh, And then I'm like, I'm going to build, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be like the best workout person and just build legs. And and I'm going to slave under the bar and just, I'm not going to do anything. I had, I, I didn't do anything. I never hung out with girls when I was younger. And I think the truth is, is that because I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict and I was channeling that energy from a young age, then when, you know, when I got in, you know, fourteen, fifteen. you know, sneak out of the house, the odd time. And then it just progressed to like, you know, we all know where I've been. I didn't, you know, whatever. We're having a good conversation here. I don't want to take away from that. And then it's like the, that, that, those energies have started to go away. And then let that, that obsessiveness that I can have, I put it into like, you know, the drug use and then the misbehaving and the anger and the fighting. And, but, um, my version of like your Galchenyuk story was I would, I would so I would put the leaf game on, and then when Darcy Tucker or Ty Domi would come on the ice, I'd fucking start ripping push ups off, bicep curls, whatever. Um, my parents had this old like, Bally Total Fitness spin yeah. bike that like was literally like a coat, coat rack, and then it was like you know. I'm like, yeah, hockey players ride the bike. And then it's like, dude, there's this bike that like my, my, my mother had bought. Um, and then I'd start doing sprints on the bike and it's like, I pre- I'm pretending like I'm Darcy Tucker or Ty Domi. Cause they were, you know, they were the leaf guys. Yeah. They were like the heavy hitters on the leaf guys. So I wanted to be like, and then it's just, yeah, it just progressed from there. But, um, I don't know, man. I think that, I think that I gravitate towards people. Like I'm, I'm sure as you referenced before, like you can see, like there's some people that you come across and it's like, you know, there's people that are great athletes and they work hard whatever, but there's that subtle difference of like a possessed sort of driven obsessive soul. And then, you know, like guys like you and like for, for that Marley's team, like Hyman, um, member soshnikov yeah like some member yeah remember? Love yeah. Love yeah nikita yeah. soshnikov yeah. Man. i'm like man that boy's got too. a fire inside him another guy now who too that i that i see uh nick robertson with the leafs yeah i just got i saw his a game good player dude that kid's you know that kid's you know he he he's got that work ethic that's just like you know he's got a god given drive that I did phase two with the Leafs and then I couldn't keep going because I obviously was a Marlies player, but he like woke me up. I was like, Oh, time to work. 19 year old coming out of junior. I'm just like, Whoa. All right. Yeah. yeah. I remember what that's like. And he kind of snapped me up. Yeah, like, he kind of, uh,
0: he kind of pulled uh, a Dickie Kloon on Dickie Kloon. Cause I, in your uh, document documentary, <laughs> you had two people to me that I learned a lot from. One was uh, Kyle Dubas you know, we were together in, in Toronto, just his, his passion for the game, his professionalism, his ability to communicate, uh, with empathy and, and rooting for the player. You could feel it. And then, uh, Barry Trotz, that was a phrase he would always use was learn to bring guys into the fight. And, uh, I never played as much as I would have liked for him. The capitals were stacked at the time. And, um, but both those guys, when they showed up in your documentary, I'm like, Oh man, I, I, uh, I have a lot of appreciation for the professionalism of those two. And that, that quote that you just said, like bringing me back into the fight was a Barry Trotz classic.
1: Yeah, man. And Barry Trotz, um, you know, who, there's, I have no words for Barry Trotz. I mean, I love, I love Barry Trotz played for him for two years in, in Nashville. And then, uh, you know, he got let go and kind of coincided with me, uh, Getting bought out, but the was just one of those coaches. Like right away, when I got picked up on waivers and uh and rolled into Nashville, it was just like, and I'd played a little bit against the Predators, maybe one or two games as a young king player. And you always, you know, he had a you know, obviously a, a great reputation around the league, as he does. What well, you said, being, that aura
0: too, like those wide shoulders and that,
1: yeah, you know, man. that yeah. custom
0: fitting like suit, like just a uniqueness, like he's there's no one. Just across the bench. No, I and, the and then
1: the thing about him is his integrity is just so amazing, and mm-hmm. his fairness, and his his communication skills are just they're they're remarkable. Because when I got there, it was like you know we stood over like a stand up coffee table in the lounge, like nothing you know no his just approach with me. I don't know how he approaches other players, but he just kind of knew like we're just going to have this thing for five minutes. And when you get picked up on waivers, as you know, you don't know who's responsible for bringing you in. Like, you don't know if it's like, uh, whatever the general manager, sometimes it's, you know, as you know, there's different people have different voices and there can be a disconnect. And one player gets picked up and the coach doesn't like him or the coach wanted him. And the GM wasn't a big fan anyways. So I don't know. And like a Barry Trotz. It's like, we're standing there and he's just like, um can you be an agitator for him? like this is literally like hey nice to meet you how was the flight uh you know i remember when you played on the kings and you were paying to play against i had a fight with tutu and we were going at it all game and then jordan had signed with detroit so i think they were trying to fill that void of like a middleweight agitating presence and he just looked at me he's like can you just be like can you be be an agitator can you just be the shit disturber and, and play. And I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, um, I also want to let you know, like, I have so much respect for your sobriety. And I hadn't really, I hadn't been public about it yet. Mm-hmm. Never said a word to anybody, but like in the hockey circles, it was, you know, it was, they had luckily like Ron Hextall, who I love had put in a good word to the predators and said, listen, like this kid's gone through some things, but he's, you know, he's two years sober and you can trust him And, um, they had had Jordan Tutu and Brian McGratton who are, you know, admitted recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. So they're very familiar with someone like me. And Barry just right away was like, I have the most respect for people that that own their mistakes and their and their and their diseases and stuff. So right away, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I wish there was a game tonight so I could just go run through the fucking wall for this guy. Because right away, he just like he he, he, he didn't like it was like he knew and he probably i don't even know if he did intentionally but he knew how to get right into my soul and be like "I, i got your back and that's why guys play so hard for him and he he was just very much like he had those sayings like you know drag guys into the fire and he's very, uh, superstitious and, and very specific with his pregame. Um, you know, everyone knows about Trotsy's rituals and stuff. And he just always had these things, man, of like, you know, he'd come in and be like, he he loved when we cranked like the metal music. And he'd be like, Dickie crank the devil music. And I'd put (laughs) on like, I'd put on like Motley Crue or like Ozzy Osbourne and stuff. And it'd be like, and then, but, um, yeah, when I sat down with the filmmakers and we did kind of an initial feel it out process and they kind of started to key in on a storyline and they made the choice to go heavy into the hockey personalities. Um, because you know, I, you could probably talk to them more about that, but I was just like, when I saw the, the, the film, cause I, I, I did an interview, a cutaway interview, and then they filmed me training and on the ice a bit. But other than that, I had, I I knew who they were filming with, but I never saw any of it till the final version. I bought it on iTunes myself. (laughs) And, uh, you know, like Barry Tross is just one of those people that um, he's just a special coach, special coach. And then, you know, just to bring it back to Kyle Dubas, you know, there's a reason why Kyle's been so successful um, so quickly. In Not quickly. I mean, like he started... He started becoming a manager, I think, in his early 20s in the OHL and, and put in the hours and the experience. And now I think, you you know, I think a lot of guys will will say that Kyle's rooting for the players and he's a very player oriented general manager. Like he literally will do whatever it takes to put a player in an environment where they can succeed, whether it's getting them the proper training, getting them the proper uh, mental health support um nutritional support you know you you played for kyle like Mm -hmm. he he literally is like how can i help you like and 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 he will go there he'll go to the ends of the walls for his players so that's why i've continued to come back year after year and build this relationship with like the maple Leafs and the marley's because um as i said in the film like the they just align with my values that I've formed over the years. And, and and the truth is there's a lot of amazing people in hockey and I'm not saying, you know, Kyle's the only general manager out there because he's not, there's, there's amazing people all over, but that's just by been my experience with them.
0: Yeah. I think uh, one of the things I recognized in your film with Barry was like the power of, of seeing another person and providing them a purpose within a team. Cause I mean, you and I have both been in the depths of, you know, an NHL lineup. Like you, you white knuckle at every game, you know, like you're doing your best just to stay in the lineup another night. And that's what I thought was so cool about someone like Barry, you know, even I only saw it really with Washington, but you know, it, there was great pride in every role on the team and he understood the importance of each and every individual. And, uh, and yeah. he spoke to them and he, and he saw them, uh, he didn't sugarcoat anything, you know, with Kyle, like one of the, I used to get asked, you know, what, you know, cause people are curious what's so special about this young guy who, you know, who, you know, doesn't have a playing background. He's obviously a smart cat. Like what's he do well? And like, one of the things I thought was super cool about that Marley's culture was it was like, I loved it. It was like hockey school, but for grownups, like it was like for big boys, you know, it was, yeah. uh, you know, if you want to do skill sessions in the morning, here's some, uh, you know, here's a skating coach. Barb Underhill is going to be out there. You want to do, you know, uh, some defensive zone breakout work. You have Mike Ellis or Daryl Belfry, some of the, you know, leading skills coaches will be out there prior to the skate. Then you'd practice and, you know, Sheldon Keefe had, I just loved the way we played, and the way he taught the game and his, how he handled me was, you know, he respected me from, you know, day one and, and challenged me. Um But it was like hockey camp. And I just, I loved it. I, I thought... uh if I was ever in a position, you know, of, of power, I would like to steal some of that and, and bring that element of, of continuous development, no matter where you're at in your career, you know, yeah. to encourage that. I,
1: yeah, I, I think the thing too that makes it so unique is that, um, so clearly, you know, there's a, a lot of organizations who have now adopted that, um, you know, they, that the coin, the in vogue term is like development, right? Mm-hmm. But as you come to the Maple Leafs and the Marlies, the development isn't just for the guys on their entry level deal or that are like 25 and younger that are climbing up like you're never really going to last there or thrive if you don't have that um, that mentality, even as an older player, which I think now is why we're seeing Jason Spezza have so much success. I love Spets. Yeah, what, like Spez, what Spez, a
0: hockey he, nerd, man, through and through. Like he, <laughs> he was. I love playing with him. I played with him for a short time in Dallas, but
1: in Dallas, yeah, but like Spetz has been, you know, Spetz is legendary around Toronto for being a guy that started to train like a pro at an early age, uh, up at uh, Yari Bersky's Skate On program, and but Spets now is like he's from the guy that I've met when I was you know younger he's the exact same way. And like, that's the culture that they, that Kyle and Sheldon brought in um, five years ago when I showed up and they basically um, they've just built this sort of institution where no matter what your role is, what kind of player you are, you're going to have all the support you need because ultimately like you know, we all sign contracts and we signed for X amount of dollars, but the thing that I've noticed and the thing that I've benefited from and been so grateful for is that, A, if you live in Toronto, you can come and train at the facilities in the summer. And it's like, how do you put a value on that um, opportunity, right? Economically, like with the facilities at MasterCard Center and then you know, the ice times and stuff like that, and the coaching and the training. And I know a lot of teams have that set up, but then through the season, it's like, if you were to sit there and 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 add up the amount of hours and, you know, Daryl Belfry coming out there, Barb Underhill, the strength coaches, um, you know, there's, I could name 20 people. It's like <laughs> that financial value is, it's very, very expensive. So then it, it's like, for me, you know, I've benefited from that. And it's like, that's made me more employable and a more valuable hockey player. And that's the thing that I've loved about them is that, you know, guys have gone off to other teams and signed, but they cannot say to anybody that they did not get better and that the Maple Leafs and the Marlies didn't help them invest in themselves and make them more employable, right? To the they re- they're more valuable. So if you come here you're going to get like all you can handle and it's going to just benefit you in the end. So it's been cool, man. I mean, it sparked me. I was ready to quit at 27 after I got bought out by Nashville, like straight up. Uh, I, uh, you know, I was, I was being, I I mentioned this on another podcast. Like it was, my ego was bruised and I thought I had worked through a lot of that ego and transcended that like, yeah, which is hilarious. Even me talking about it now, there it is. But Getting bought out by Nashville was like the worst thing ever, right? Like I was living out my vision, um, thought I was going to play 10 years for the Predators and retire and get a, you know, a white picket fence house in Brentwood and, you know, go hunt with Mike Fisher on the weekends. And (laughs) you know what I mean? Like. And uh, life happens though, right? Life happens. This is this is what happens. I knew that I had made a lot of progress in my sobriety that when I did get bought out, like I never thought about drinking or using once. I just got wow, pissed man. and, you know, I dealt with it the way I dealt with it at that time. I can't judge it because I'm a different person today. But I was, so I left after um, my season. I got sent down to the minors to Milwaukee Admirals, which actually I had an amazing experience with. Um, their coach Dean Evison is like one... Another amazing guy who everyone has played for him. I don't know. Have, have you played no, for Dean? No. Oh, dude, he's a fucking absolute unbelievable coach. Unbelievable coach. Where's he at now? I, Where's I he am, at now? He's the head coach of, um, of Minnesota, no?
0: Oh, when, he uh, when coach? Yeah,
1: I don't know. I missed that one. I, uh, yeah, I can't remember when he was. I think, he's, I think Boudreau... he's the head coach. Of, I'm pretty sure he's the head coach of Minnesota um, Wild. Okay. Anyways, this sounds awful. I, I actually had heard, I actually, I, heard
0: gonna, I actually had heard, I actually had heard from a couple guys I know in Minnesota that they'd really liked who was coaching there. So that.
1: Dude, he's I like, I can't, he's awesome. So I had a really good experience going down there. So it wasn't like, it was awesome. I had a good season in the American League, but obviously I was, you know, I want to be in the NHL right. and I was being dramatic and just like, you know, I, I, I was like, I'm like, you know, I'm sick of the politics you know, I've, I've had, you know, I got back to the NHL. I'm sober, had a bit of a run. I'm like, whatever, you know? And I was, I was living in California with my brother, Matt. We, uh, we rented a, uh, we were renting an apartment out in Studio City near where he was working. He was working for a movie producer out there. And I, I, I came out and I started going to a gym in LA called Unbreakable, which uh, back when I was going there, it was more, you know, uh, mixed martial arts football guys than they'd had no football players. Now it's kind of transitioned into this sort of like celebrity actor gym, which is, it's just different, different people. But back then it was heavy into the football and like, dude, I worked out with like Von Miller one day and like, Monster. Uh, dude, like just like, oh different yeah. Breed. Like, um, oh man, some of the, some of the people that I was exposed to in there is like wild, uh, Rashad Evans. Like it was crazy, but I was living in LA and truthfully, I'm like, I was in four acting classes a night, a week, training like an animal. I was training more like a mixed martial artist, to be honest. And, uh, July 1st was creeping up and I was, you know, I was doing that self-deflection thing. Like, you know, you, you can't fire me. I quit. And uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm telling everybody like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm living out in LA now. I'm going to be an actor. And, uh, and in, in my head, but like deep, deep in my head, I'm like, I still want to play, obviously. And I'm like, uh, I hope I hope there's some way Toronto calls me and we can kind of do something. And um, fortunately, like it was like July 2nd or 3rd, Kyle Dubas got a hold of me through my agent at the time. And we had a conversation and he was just like, uh would you want to come play for the Marlies and you can try out for the Leafs and see where that goes. And it's, it was the best decision I ever made because I came back and I thought, you know, I thought that was going to be it. I'm like 27 or 28, whatever, call it a career, played some games, made some money and then coming back. um, And now don't get me wrong. Like I've had ups and downs over the last five years here. And um, it's like, I wanted to get back as a full-time NHL player. That didn't happen, but I've gotten everything I needed. Cause like I've, now I'm, it sparked me and I've been surrounded by all these young youthful players and thrust into a leadership role at the Marlies, which has just been, you know, it's been amazing.
0: Well, I think there's a, a sense of gratitude that you gain from like tiptoeing around hockey death. So, you know, so I've had uh, like, you know, I've been, taken by my heel like achilles and and you know dipped into the american league and almost on waivers and traded and then injured and then traded again and it leads to can lead to two things it can lead to like avoidance or bitterness i've been there you know i was i was really sour uh watching a game was hard you know not super interested in in watching other guys do well around the league you know jealous yeah and uh you know it definitely now with you know the whole um you know, COVID beast and and kind of being locked out of the game there for a while, you know, where the, the rinks were closed and things like that. Uh, There's just a better sense of gratitude and like clarity around like why I got into the game. Like how proud, honest to God, would 13 year old Dickie Clune be?
1: (laughs) I could, you know, it's like, there's, there's these group of guys that I hang out with out in California and they have these sort of like, They got these, these, these sort of like philosophies they live by. And they always say like, this situation will work out better than you could have ever imagined. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like stuff happens, stuff gets hard, whatever. It's like, remind yourself, this situation will work out better than you could ever imagine. And they told me that when I was in treatment, I'm like, even my second time around, when I was convinced I was a drug addict and an alcoholic, they're like, you know, don't worry, man this is going to get better than you could have ever imagined. You won't even be able to predict. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a cliche stereotype sales line. You sell drug addicts to keep them in their seat. But the truth is, man, it's just worked out better than I could have ever imagined. Better than I could have ever imagined. And, you know, maybe in like five years from now, we'll do another podcast and we'll be sitting here wondering what we were talking about. And the, these versions of ourselves today are going to be like, Dinosaurs to where we're at there will know, be hopefully they we, will be we still we'll laugh at ourselves But we'll pull, we'll pull what we yeah, said dude. here today and and, like. and 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 just to just to unpack a little bit what you said a couple of minutes ago about that You know, you're dipped into the American League and you're dipped into You know, whatever you're getting healthy scratch you're in and out of the lineup You're just kind of trying to find your way and obviously, you know, I followed your career because we played together and now you're uh, now you're in Jersey And this is something that I think if you interviewed people that are whatever, quote unquote, successful in other industries, it's that ability to just not quit. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like that deep affirmation. I think some people like to sell things that are the secrets, whatever. Where you know, people got to make their money. They try to sell whatever, you know, law of attraction, da, 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 da. But the one thing that I think i've kind of uh, acknowledged in some of these people and the one thing that just is continuous across the board it's like that resiliency and not quitting ever you know no matter how, no matter what like you get rejected you, whatever you stay on the ropes and you hang in there because if you stick around and continue to work hard and stay positive and take take the blows it's like you look back and you're you're here doing something and it's going to get harder down the foot, but that's what I've, that's the one thing is like the never quit attitude. Um That's like something, I mean, try not to, to get too dramatic over it, but that's, that's the, the best thing that I've probably learned.
0: Yeah. And the key word there is ever,
1: right? Like do not ever. quit ever.
0: Um, no. And I, I think, uh,
1: Well, it's like kids, you know, like as, as we become hockey players, whatever you meet people and they want to say like, what can you tell my son? What can you tell my daughter? Like what advice do you have for the 10 year old, the 12 year old, the 13 year old? And yeah, we could sit there and tell you to like work on your (laughs) thoracic spine movement. And, but it's like, have fun and just don't ever quit. Like don't ever quit. Even if you fail, like even if you fail, you get cut. You know, when you've quit and, you know, when you tried your best and it's like never quit because I wanted to quit so many times, dude, the blow ups with my parents, the, you know, things going on in my in my in my private life, the mental illness and like all levels, triple A, junior, American League, NHL, back to the American League, back to the NHL bought out (laughs) like I'm 33 and it's like, I would love to continue to play. Um, But the truth is, is like, I'm always in that, that, that internal battle with myself of like to be or not to be. And it's just like, never quit, man. Never fucking quit.
0: Well, so I, you know, we, we touched on a little bit with your sobriety and your, you know battles with drugs and alcohol and your hockey career and a lot of times this is a conversation as professional athletes it's a it's cool what we've been able to do right like what we've done um but also knowing you like your future and your dreams like are huge motivators for you and i want to know like in five years what can what can we expect what will we be talking about in five years with dickie clune like what are you, and, and, you don't have to go that far off in the distance, but what are you dreaming up right now? Cause I know, you know, with the season being shut down, things like that, like you've had a lot of time to reflect and reflect you will, you know, knowing you mm-hmm. what's, uh, what's firing you up these days?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of different ways to answer that question. And the one, you know, one thing that's kind of because for so long, even in my recovery, like I live, I've lived such a self-absorbed, uh, existence, right. You know, you get, get sober and it's still, uh, you know, I got to take care of me or else, uh, there we're not, there gonna be no podcasts,
0: yeah.
1: but the one thing is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to get that, um, that sort of want for a family. Like, you know, I do want to have kids one day and, and, and have a partner and, and, and build like that, build that out. Because, and I was starting to feel that way, you know, probably dating back to about a year ago. And then when COVID hit, you know, and I, you're, you're forced to self quarantine and, and stuck in your, in your own house. And it's like, you really see like, you know, this is this is what could happen at any point in time, the world could shut down and we're forced to stay in our homes and you're alone. No, don't get me wrong. I got tons of friends. And although I'm, I I am alone, I've never, I don't feel alone, but I do want to like, you know, start a family and, and, and experience that and, and raise, raise a child or two, whatever. So that's one thing that I think about. And then another thing, as far as like my personal development, I just want to continue to I just want to continue to stay in that like growth mindset, you know, no matter what happens, always stay teachable, always stay humble. And some of the things that I'm into are are film and TV and acting and producing. And I would love to explore that. And that's something that, that excites me, right? Unfortunately, I'm very stubborn. If it doesn't excite me, it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to do it. And I would love to play another um, season or two of professional hockey at least you know, truthfully, we want to play as long as yeah, we can. Yeah. And uh, I, I never think that I'll, I'll I, I can never picture myself removed from the game. I feel like I will, I will transition into a different sort of job within the game. And I, I really can't tell you what that is. If it's on the coaching side or, you know, the managerial side or like the player development side, I really think, you know, the thing that excites me beyond like the actual playing of the game and you know clearly that's you know what that's like like we all live to play, but I love forming that connection with my teammates, and specifically, um you know I'm an older guy now, <laughs> turned into an old old boy overnight, but i love you know I love working with younger guys, so I feel like that you know something like that might come to fruition yeah. Um, so that's kind of it, man. just continue to to get to know myself and um, you know, I'd love to travel a little bit when the world opens up and is a little safer. I, I've never really seen some of the parts of the world that, that, uh, just cause I've been, you know, the season ends and I always say, I'm going to go on this crazy trip to like, um, my family's half Italian, half Irish. So I'd love to see Ireland and Italy. And then I take a week off and I'm back in the gym fucking like, buried in the, in, in, and I'm, you know, I'm zero, yeah. um, zero dark 30 into the gym again. And like, which I'll never lose. Like I'm going to push my body until they throw me in the dirt. Truthfully. Like I want to go hike. I want to go climb Mount Everest straight up. I would love to go climb Mount Everest. I would love to jump out of a plane skydive.
0: Be careful what you say. This is all recorded. I'll bring this shit back up.
1: I it lay, out hey, there, Dickey, man. It's been let's three, go. four
0: years, man. Where's Everest at? Tell
1: your followers, <laughs> man. Tell your followers, let's go. Tell them right now. Let's go. right now. Who wants to go climb Mount Everest? <laughs> Hit me up. Let's go, man. Man. You only live once, dude. Let's go. And as far as uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like for me, I can't get hot, caught up in like, whatever. I want to make X amount of dollars. I want to live in this house. I'm grateful for what I have now. I'm more, I want to, I want to feel things and I want to, you know, I want to chase knowledge. And as one of my mentors and, and, you know, Charles Pollockman said, if you feed the goddess of knowledge, the goddess of, you know, success will get jealous and catch up. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at,
0: man. That's uh. first off. I don't know if I'm like, high and mighty enough in the podcast world to do this, but you need a podcast too, by the way, like, <laughs> like this, you, you just get to meet and, and talk to cool people and have conversations on a Saturday morning that fire up your work. Like I, Is this I'm when you praying. record every Saturday? No, but I, you know, the last couple I have been, cause it leaves room for training all week. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, sometimes I was doing some podcasts where, you know, I train in the morning and I'd go skate, whatever. And I'd come home and it's like, you know, four o'clock and you're, zonking out a little bit like you should be you know and then you're playing the battle in your head you're like all right i'm doing an interview but i really should be like starting to get into a parasympathetic yeah, yeah. state and resting for tomorrow so i can go back after no, you want to you, you know? want to
1: set yourself up to like so you're here now and you're and you're and you're present exactly. and you're dialed in exactly it's a great time saturday morning we're both on east coast time i have my quad americano rocket fuel <laughs> I'm a little hungry, so I got that hunger Yeah, yeah, you, you know, got coming those hormones yeah. all the hormones are pumping. I'm just gonna go like I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do something for about forty five minutes or an hour, just push the body and then I'll eat and uh
0: in the in the gym or gyms open up,
1: up there? No, Monday. Night Monday, okay. Yeah, in the next phase of uh the simulation, gyms will open here in Toronto. I feel bad for that weight so, room like Fortis Fitness, baby, should, best kept secret in Toronto. You've been to Fortis. I've been to Fortis. It is yeah, sick. You've been there, I man. love that dungeon yeah,
0: you, feel, like that. You know, if it, if a gym's yeah. too pretty, I'm not into it. I don't.
1: Yeah, that's don't want that's it. the gym that those inserts in the film are shot at. Um, it's badass. We went and sh- we went and shot that. That was shot over a year ago during the season, and uh, I was in and out, so yeah, not last season, the season before, and I was in and out of the lineup a lot, and I was cranking the weights a lot, and it just the guys were like, can we film you training? Like you clearly talk about training and rather than have you talk about it in the film, we'll just show it. So we went and filmed, uh, the owner of Fortis, Sean Kelly, who's an amazing guy. Like, you know, we signed all the legal documents to that, that you do to get in that gym. And he just went at midnight because it's 24 hours, as you know, you scan in yep. and, uh, we, we went in on at midnight, we shot from midnight to 3 PM, 3 AM. Um, during the week, whatever I think, I we 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 scheduled that I had a day off the next day, and uh, yeah, they. I mean that gym's that gym I, I joined four years ago, and it's obviously train at the arena and train in hockey, but it's nice
0: just to have a different um, different setup too, somewhere to go think differently, be away. You know,
1: I get to go there outside of hockey and kind of feed that addiction as well.
0: Dicky, this was. Um this is everything I hoped for, man. This was awesome. And I, I, we got to do it again because we didn't even get into like who inspired your, your locker room DJ skills. <laughs> like I've, you know, I've played on enough teams. You're top of the food chain there. Um, but uh, where can people find you and how can they, you know, support the film? Hi, my name is Dickie.
1: Well, uh, I do have a couple. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Rich Kloon, at Rich Klune. And then as far as the film goes, it's uh, streaming on Apple TV, iTunes search hi my name is Dickie, um it's five dollars to rent and uh, a big part of you know this film project was being able to give back you know between myself and the, and the and the film production team so proceeds of every stream are going to be donated to mental health initiatives globally and uh we really hope that we can you know the film can have some sort of success and help people and then we can you know give back some of that some of that love to, uh, you know, maybe make a change a little bit for some people. So that's it, brother. It was good talking to that's you, man. Awesome, and we'll man. do it dude, again, man.
0: I can't wait to uh, hear what the name of your own podcast is. I picture like a, like <laughs> a hockey training version of like the Jocko Willing podcast where it's just you, you yeah, bring guests in for a ton of time, but I who think knows, even, dude, we'll see you in five you years, should. right? You should. We'll see you in five years. Yeah. All right, we'll brother. Bring this up. Thanks brother. Have a great training session. eh? okay, man. See you later. Have a, have a good Saturday. Bye bud. right what an awesome conversation with uh dickens uh rich clune today he's just a beast he's a guy that i loved going to war i felt like i knew him 10 years uh the day we met you know i have some takeaways today i want to go over but i just want to thank him for coming on i was in such flow state there catching up with an old friend I, i don't think we talk as much as we would like i that's just kind of the way the world works you never do with old friends but with Dickie, it's, it's right where we left off every time. He just has such a groundedness to him. He, he has such a strong spirit that every time we talk, we, we go into the world. We talk about how we want to go through the world, our philosophy, on who we are and who we want to be. And uh, he's just such an inspiring and, and he's just an awesome person. And I mean that. So some of the takeaways I wanted to you know kind of peel apart from our conversation today is the power of never, ever quitting. Uh, Dickie talks about it as he, you know, shook his addiction and still battles daily. You know, as he says, uh, he says in the, in the film for sure. I don't know if we talked about it today where, you know, your disease, your addiction is, uh, counselors were telling him is over in the corner doing push-ups ready, getting stronger to, to battle with you. And when, when you take a day off and he kind of carries that heaviness with him, you can see it, you can just feel it when you're in his presence. Uh, but he is a living testament to the power of uh, never ever quitting, particularly in his hockey career and also in his battle uh, for his sobriety. One of the things that Dickens and I uh, bonded over greatly was our love for growth mindset. You know, no matter where you are in your career uh, as a as a player or person, if i'm not if I don't feel like I can grow, I feel like I'm dying. and I, And, you know, Dickie, I think, Exudes that himself and and has rekindled his love for growth, you know, in sort of the second half of his career. And I think it's he's a great role model for carrying yourself that way. And when you have that curiosity as a fuel, there's there's no end to your motivation. The motivation isn't fleeting, it's something you're always engaging in. And then finally, you know, one of the things that I love about Dickie is that he's so himself that he gave me permission to be more of myself. And one of the things I think of is there are people like you who need you to be you so you guys can build a friendship like dickie and i have you know on display today um if you're struggling with your own identity and you're not owning your values as a person and and who you want to be in the world uh you may be not presenting your best self towards someone and and they may be missing a friend that you know they need to go through life or a teammate that they would like to have and with dickie I, uh, you know, I said it today in the podcast, I wish we were able to play, uh, 10 years together and, and, you know, maybe we will again, somewhere down the road, but, you know, I'm confident he isn't going anywhere in the game of hockey. I'm going to try my best, you know, to stick around as long as I can. And, and, you know, finally, uh, thanks again, Dickie for, you know, our conversation today and then for our listener, thank you for sticking with, uh, Rich and I today, he's an exceptional individual. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, you were able to learn something as much as I did today. Thank you for sticking with the Curious Competitor podcast. Please consider uh, liking, subscribing, share with friends and family. Uh, Rich is a powerful character. I know a lot of people uh, can gain a lot of insight from, you know, if, you're, if you want to talk with him about, you know, motivation, maybe reach out to him on his own feed. And he's pretty active on social media and, and really enjoys uh, helping people. So, you know, you can find him there. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. I look forward to doing this again next week. Have a great rest of your day.